It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Two moms looking for inspiration wherever, wherever we, we can, can find, find it. it. So what's happening, Teresa? What's... I know, I haven't seen you in forever. I know. Well, like I said, we had COVID <sighs> going, not me, but throughout the house. Yeah. And so no Thanksgiving, really, which is fine. Everybody yeah. here is better, but did that white elephant party, which I'm usually oh. not into. But yeah, can be fun. I picked number one, so I got oh, to steal the last present. That's really fun. So I got a good cat puzzle for the kids. Oh, that's so, cute. Yeah, it's been, everybody's been getting better. Good. So excited Yay. for Christmas. So I'm going to talk about basically a female Jerry Maguire and then my new favorite player for the 49ers. Oh, cool. This is episode 110, and I'm going to be talking about a new book, Saving Ryan, by Dr. Emil Caucus. And then later I'll be talking about a... Um, incredible personal trainer from the UK who is devoted to working with the elderly and the physically and mentally disabled in his community. Hmm. A couple weeks back, he sent a tweet about an awesome powerlifting champion from Manchester in the UK, Javino McLean. He's bringing his local community together by training those who are disabled, sick, or elderly. The amazing part, he's doing this without payment. Javino owns a gym called J7. The dad of two set his sights on a career in fitness 13 years ago after scribbling his dreams down on a piece of paper in his mom's kitchen. And I've read that you are 42% more likely to achieve your goals if you just write them now. Oh, wow. So that's just a side note. 42%. (laughs) Yeah. Early in his fitness career, he worked for Manchester City Council, helping to create a new exercise movement called Active Lifestyle. It's an innovative platform promoting sport, health, physical activity in the Manchester area. Mm -hmm. It looks really cool. However, Javino wanted to create his own thing. Now he's devoted to helping those who may be physically or mentally at a disadvantage. He currently has 15 disabled children and 30 elderly people. It started when he was asked to coach two disabled individuals and just took off from there. Marley Fenton has cerebral palsy and it's just one of the individuals Javino uh, seeks to help through basic everyday exercises that able-bodied people take for granted, such Mm -hmm. as getting out of his wheelchair, picking Mm -hmm. up a ball and lifting it over his head. 11-year-old Marley has made progress both with his physical and mental well-being. Javino isn't just a physical coach. He emphasizes mental coaching as an aspect of his rehabilitation work. I love what Javino says. I don't see the wheelchair. I see the person. I don't see the cancer. I see the person. I don't see the disability. I see the person. I love that. Yeah. I mean, More of us need to be that way. Right. He says working with his clients motivates him to do what he does. They are lucky to have him, but he says he's lucky to have them. We all need each other. This man has an incredible heart, and it doesn't just stop at the gym. He has led free Zoom exercise classes for people with cancer, a gymathon to raise money for women's refuge, and a press-up challenge to help a boy with cerebral palsy. He's also been known to take lonely elderly people out for Christmas dinner and run a food bank service. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he's, he's just so, he's just so incredible. Gosh. 
cool guy. Yeah, yeah really cool awesome. guy. A month or so ago, I was watching the day show. I know. <laughs> Let her roll her eyes. But anyway, I caught the tail end of an interview with Dr. Emil Caucus. He was talking about his book, Saving Ryan, which is an amazing story about how he developed a treatment for a rare genetic disorder, a mucopolysaccharidosis, or MPS. His, I'll call it MPS. We're just going to go yeah. with MPS. Yeah, his funding was running out when he met a young charismatic boy with MPS, Ryan. Ryan's parents, along with a lot of caring individuals, were instrumental in financially boosting his research, which eventually led to a viable treatment for MPS. Children with the MPS, or also known as Hurler syndrome, have an abnormal accumulation of complex sugars in their cells caused by genetic changes that lead to reduced levels of complete lack of an enzyme. I know that's a mouthful. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of amazing that our body's designed that we can miss one thing and it's and, and, it's, have it affected. and have it yeah. fe- affected. Uh, Ryan Daunt was born April 13th, 1988. A healthy 8-pound, 13 ounces, dark-haired, dark-eyed baby. He grew into a happy, active, cute little boy who loved sports. His parents, Mark and Jean Daunt, lived outside of a suburb of Dallas in Carrollton, were huge Rangers fans. And even went to a game the night before Ryan was born. Mm-hmm. So naturally, Ryan loved baseball mm-hmm. too. Life changed for the Dons when Jean took Ryan in for a routine school sports participation checkup when Ryan was nearly three and a half. Ryan's head had always been large for his age, but his doctor you know, discounted it since Mark, his father, also had a big head. During the examination, the doctor noticed that Ryan's liver was too big, actually hanging below his ribcage, as well as his spleen on the right side was enlarged. The doctor didn't say anything to Gene. He thought the combination of problems indicated a genetic condition and referred them to a genetic specialist at Dallas Children's Medical Center. A few days later, uh, they arrived at the Children's Medical Center. The doctor noticed similar observations. Ryan's head was larger and a bit different shape, as well as Ryan's liver and spleen were enlarged. Ryan's hands were not bending or fingers curving as they normally should. So the doctor suggested they run urine and blood tests to confirm the diagnosis. Gene remembered the doctor mentioning MPS 1 or 2, as well as he cited other possible medical conditions. You know, there is no internet at this no. time to go home and Google. Um, Maybe that's a good thing. It was though, probably a good thing. So the doctor so. visit was just a total blur. Yeah. And when Mark got home that night from work, he still held on to the idea that, you know, Ryan was a strong and healthy boy. Uh, within a few weeks, they received a call from the clinic that they needed to come in as soon as possible for the results, and both parents needed to come. Now, that would, yeah. is scary. When they entered the clinic, Mark kept thinking, we don't belong here. A few minutes later, they were brought back to the exam room, and besides the doctor Jean and Ryan met earlier, now in the room, there was a genetic counselor and a family counselor. Mark, Still scary. So yeah, yeah, Mark and Jean were very worried. The doctor told them that Ryan had a disease called MPS, and he described a grim future that Ryan would probably lose the ability to walk or raise his arms. The doctor said Ryan's hands are already becoming stiff. He may become blind, deaf, and mentally impaired, and rarely kids with MPS live beyond age 10. Mm. Oh, my gosh, the Daunts were naturally devastated. Mark asked if there were any treatments available. The only one is a bone marrow transplant. The doctor noted the death rate for the procedure in MPS kids 
was about 20% and optimally done before age two. He went on to say there is no other option or treatment. MPS is a very rare disease with very few researchers hired to work on a treatment since only 200 kids or so, like Ryan, live in the U.S. The doctor said, take Ryan home and love him while he is with you. There is simply nothing else that can be done. Mark and Jean were crying as they left the clinic. I can't imagine how they were feeling. The dons were just dazed. They couldn't comprehend Ryan's fate. Mark started doing research, you know, what he could find in the public libraries. He read medical journals. The pictures of the kids and their deformed bodies in the medical texts haunted him. He chose to shield uh, Jean from it. She was in denial. The doctor mentioned a conference for families with MPS that was going to take place in a few weeks in Denver. Mark wanted to meet other families in the same situation and really find out what was going on in terms of the treatment options. At the conference, Mark noted that children at the the conference had the problems he had seen in the photos in the medical textbooks. Sadly, too, he noticed that none of the children were over 13. At the conference, Mark learned that there weren't any treatment options that only reinforced his son's bleak future. Back home, you know, Mark and Jean tried to carry on as normal, but as soon as Ryan went to sleep at night, the mood changed to a somber one. Soon, Ryan began having problems. He started snoring so bad he had to have his tonsils and adenoids removed. Ryan began having more infections and difficulties with routine activities. He was becoming, you know, horribly stiff. Ryan loved playing soccer. Then he couldn't keep up, and he didn't want to play anymore. By age five or six, Ryan started struggling in school, partly because he missed so many days due to Mm -hmm. illness. His first grade teacher said that Ryan wasn't going to pass and move on to second grade. They juggled their schedules to manage the doctor visits and save up sick days from work. Jean and Mark began sleeping on Ryan's floor at night just to hear him breathing. Then one night, Mark was struck with the notion that they shouldn't wait for the inevitable. No way. Ryan was a competitor. Mark decided he was not going to let their sorrow consume them. Mark worked as a police officer and started asking co-workers if they would be interested in helping with a fundraiser for Ryan. The clerks that worked in records said they would bake something so Mark could raise some money, and the bake sale was born. The first effort wasn't great. Mark set up in front of a local bank. A few hours later, it began to rain, and the bank manager said Mark could move indoors until it closed at 4. Mark raised $342. It wasn't much. He kept thinking somewhere... Someone would need this money, but who? And what would that accomplish? After the bake sale, Mark and Jean continued holding fundraisers like barbecues and raffles, taking in small sums. They learned about the National MPS Society and decided to send them the money they raised. The MPS Society was started by Marie Capo Bianco, who lost both of her children to the disease. Unfortunately, the MPS Society believed that funding research was a dead end for MPS and wasn't the right thing to focus on. Mark and Jean realized they needed to make a lot more money to make anything happen. The small fundraisers were fun. They had to do more and held their first golf tournament. 186 golfers participated. Ryan was darling. His little outgoing personality, he greeted golfers, you know, heading into the course. They netted 38,000. Wow, a lot more than 342. Yeah, definitely. The MPS Society was happy with the money. Mark felt 
He couldn't wait for the society to find a scientist. He decided to start attending medical meetings on his own. He attended one conference in Dusseldorf, Germany, where he learned about an enzyme replacement therapy as a possible treatment for MPS. Mm. In 1993, the National MPS Society told Mark that they wanted to have its 94 conference at Disney World, but didn't have the funding to pull it off. Mark committed committed to funding the entire conference. The Dunst Golf Tournament that year raised 42000 The entire proceeds went to fund Disney World Conference for MPS Society. Dr. Elizabeth Neufeld addressed the conference, sharing insights she gained from years of studying MPS at the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Neufeld and her colleague Joe Frattoni in 1968 were studying the accumulation of complex sugars and their special roles in the body, in particular with MPS patients. There was some sort of mishap in the lab with the cells, which actually suggested that one cell could complement another cell, correcting maybe some sort of form of treatment, which I'm totally oversimplifying that. Thank you for that. But... But it wouldn't be until years later that Liz and an Israeli geneticist, Gideon Bach, would discover that MPS is a deficient enzyme called Idurondase. After the conference, Mark spoke to Elizabeth, who said she was working with a young researcher on enzyme replacement therapy for MPS, and they were seeing good results in treating dogs with MPS. However, they were having trouble funding the project. That's when Mark decided he was going to fundraise for M- not going to fundraise for MPS Society. Instead, he started the Ryan Foundation, an independent charity, rallying his friends and volunteers with a new goal to raise money for enzyme replacement therapy. I love their tagline, Funding Science, Finding Hope. I do too. Ryan had been getting worse. He had severe headaches and these episodes where he'd pass out. One day after a bad episode, uh, Ryan, you know, vomited from a headache. When he got home, he slept most of the day. Ryan had a beloved dog, Patty Jill, an orange-brown Shetland sheepdog. They rescued shortly after Ryan's diagnosis. She slept next to his bed and knew when Ryan was sick or sad. Mm -hmm. After a long nap, Ryan said to, to Mark, what will it be like when I die? Will Will Patty be in heaven with me? He said, how long do I have to wait for mom and you to meet me there? Mark told Aww. Ryan, don't worry about that now. We're, we're taking care of you. Then Ryan said, dad, I don't worry about it because I know it's going to be okay. Then Ryan asked the question his parents had been dreading. How much time does a doctor think I have to live? Mark told Ryan, we are doing everything we can to help find the right medicine, so please don't worry. The shock of realizing Ryan knew his fate so calmly, a matter-of-factly, drove the Dons to work even harder. That young researcher that Dr. Elizabeth Neufeld had talked to Mark about was Dr. Emil Caucus. Dr. Emil Caucus' interest in medicine started in his youth with his father, who was a neurologist. When Emil was 12, he filmed his dad administrating L-DOPA therapy, which he did not invent or discover, but he was bringing this revolutionary therapy to his patients with Parkinson's disease. And they still use that. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, uh, Emil didn't know the implications of what he was filming. The L-DOPA therapy wasn't a cure. It allowed patients a few more good years. What it taught Emil is humanity in medicine. The simply the act of trying, which would be his guidepost for his own medical career. 
The other thing his father taught him was the innovation of treatment and patient care. His father had always taken on new projects, often ones with little support. He never let the naysayers drag him down. Emil's interest in science grew throughout high school. He worked at a neurodiagnostic lab for a couple of summers. He went to Pomona College, graduating in 1981. Emil wanted to pursue a career in scientific research. He found a new program, the National Institutes of Health. They sponsored this scientist training programs that taught medical schools around the country. It sounded like this great opportunity. Tuition and fees were paid plus a 5,000-year stipend. That year, UCLA only had three spots for the new program. Fortunately, Emil got in. He completed both degrees, Ph.D. and M.D. by 1989 and became familiar with the work of the new biological chemistry chair at UCLA, Dr. Elizabeth Newfield, and hoped to work with her on a project for his fellowship. Initially, Emil wanted to work on gene therapy for MPS. Liz said, you know, a lot of people were working on that and that that she felt they should first work on enzyme replacement therapy. The lab was a bit old from World War II era on the UCLA campus. That surprises me that it was that old. Yeah, yeah. He started by treating dogs with MPS with the enzyme replacement therapy and getting good results. He felt convinced he had to get it to humans. Getting treatment to patients was not an easy task. He met with a lot of obstacles from lack of staffing to manufacturing the enzyme replacement therapy in a small old lab. Uh, The big kicker was funding. Plus, at one point, he had to face a decision about his academic research career or treat a disease that had never been treated before. As an MD, PhD, he had finished his residency in pediatrics. He thought if he didn't make tenure... He could be a pediatrician. And then he thought, how would he feel if a child with MPS walked into his office? He'd feel horrible for abandoning a project that could have saved that kid. He knew he had to forge on. Prompted by Mark's discussion with Dr. Newfield at the Disney World Conference in July of 1995, the Dons flew to L.A. to meet Dr. Emil Caucus. The meeting went well. They talked about the research with the enzyme replacement therapy and the timeline with the dog study and the potential effect in human patients. The Dots, for the first time, had a project to pin their hopes on. They went home and went to work fundraising and lots more golf tournaments. Dr. Caucus knew he would have to meet pharmaceutical standards for quality and safety in production. The old lab struggled with contamination issues. They kept getting all this mold on yeah, World War II. Yeah. Then as luck happens, they got a call from a new biotech startup, Biomarin, Money from the startup, the lab got its needed renovation. Then finally, in the fall of 1997, they got approval from the FDA to run a clinical study to treat humans with the enzyme replacement therapy. Of course, Ryan was one of the patients selected as part of the 10-patient study. When Ryan and his parents flew to L.A. for the study, they got the royal send-off at the Dallas Airport. So sweet. A crowd of friends from over the years uh, cheered Ryan on. They created a tunnel... With their arms like families do at soccer games. Ryan is almost 10, so time is really crucial. The day of uh, Ryan's first infusion of the enzyme replacement therapy, Dr. Caucus asked his parents if they wanted to start the infusion, and Mark said, let's do it together. So Dr. Caucus, Mark, and Jean all three pressed the small green button together. And by June of 1998, Dr. Caucus had accumulated enough quantitative data to show the therapy worked. 
Patients' livers and spleens had shrunk, reaching normal size within 6 to 12 weeks. Also, the patients had increased energy. You know, before starting the therapy, they experienced like flu-like symptoms, stiff joints, and mobility issues. They were able to do, now able to do daily tasks like brush their teeth and comb their hair. Plus, they were hungry uh, for the first time and gained weight and grew, you know, approaching normal rate. The results were incredible. However, Dr. Caucus faced challenges with the FDA approving, you know, therapy mm-hmm. for mass production. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Dr. Caucus continued to hear about other children around the world suffering from MPS. He pushed for a compassion dosage for those in, you know, critical need to no avail. He got shot down by both the FDA and Biomarin. The FDA required they do a placebo study, um, which seemed unfair and unethical to ask MPA, MPS yeah. patients to participate, especially Definitely. because the life expectancy was, was so, so short. Yeah. yeah. Finally, in 2003, the FDA approved the enzyme replacement therapy, aldrazyme, which is a landmark event in the development of treatments for MPS. Aldrazyme is now approved in more than 40 countries and has treated more than 1,000 people around the world. Now, early detection is possible at birth. Many states require screenings of newborns for MPS. For Ryan, now he's 34. He graduated from high school. He went to college. He fell in love with a sweet elementary school teacher, Silva Ramirez. And this made me cry. Dr. Caucus was at both high school and college graduations, as well as the day Ryan proposed to Silva. Ryan invited Dr. Caucus, along with his family, to attend the 145th running of the Kentucky Derby. Afterwards, at a dinner that night, Ryan asked Silva to marry him. Uh, and she said, yes, of course. And Dr. Caucus was there at their wedding in July 2021. This, um, this story seriously moved me to tears. I love the heart of this doctor didn't give up. And I admire Ryan for his charismatic personality and his parents relentless spirit to find a treatment help fund it yeah and ultimately saving ryan's life and many others with mps and that they can now detect it earlier yeah so that's pretty pretty incredible yeah amazing with all the words that you i know and i've already i was very tongue-tied tonight i apologize where the art of medicine is loved there is also love for humanity hippocrates So it's football season here in the U.S. Well, everyone else is following football, as right. in the World Cup. Yeah. I'm talking about American football. I can't say I really follow football much. Games for you know take forever, and it's kind of slow. But I do try to watch, as you know, some Oregon Duck football and yeah. the 49ers. But despite not being a big fan, football has produced some inspiring stories, like Inky Johnson that I talked right, about yeah. in episode 105, and my my mother in law, who I said we need to just have her join us for this, right. sent me two football related stories oh, that cute. I thought were worth sharing. Yeah, representing sports figures as an agent has definitely been a boys only club. Well, pretty much forever. Saying it's a male dominated occupation is just an understatement. In the past 20 years or so, that has slowly changed and women are getting their feet in the door. About 23% of sports agents over all sports, including women's sports, are female. Still 23%. Yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah. When you look at primarily male sports like football, the percentages drop even more. In 2019, only 4.3% of the agents representing NFL players were women. 4.3%. Sports agents 
help athletes get recruited by teams or get sponsors. They help negotiate contracts for salaries and connect with companies for endorsements. They help share the image of the athletes with interviews, social media, public appearances, and sometimes try to sweep the bad stuff under the rug. They sometimes have to be a travel agent, a personal assistant, a therapist, or a parent to athletes. And usually sports agents are doing this for multiple athletes. And usually they have some staff to help out. If you've ever watched Jerry Maguire, which should kind of get the idea. Kelly Masters was one of the first women to get a seat at the table with the boys only club of sports agents. Kelly's a graduate of Oklahoma University of Law School and a former Ms. Oklahoma. She was also the first woman to ever represent an NFL draft pick and one of the first Native American sports agents. Kelly faced a lot of barriers getting into sports representation. The time she started, there were only three other female agents in the NFL. She said in those early years, when there were just two or three women that were representing NFL players, I felt like I spent a lot more time defending myself, a lot of time trying to explain why a woman could do this. She was actively discouraged by other agents who thought she could not be successful as a woman. Kelly says that using her unassuming nature and her Oklahoma charm, she (laughs) overcame barriers and started to build a clientele. Her results got her recognition and respect, and she now runs her own agency with hundreds. I know. Good find on Barbara's part. Yeah. Um, with hundreds of athletes on the company client roster. Another female sports agent who's had to fight all the way is Nicole Lynn. Nicole was the third ever woman, Kelly being the first, to represent a top five NFL draft pick. Nicole had always loved sports and knew she wanted a career working with athletes, but she didn't know where to start. Nicole says it's hard to know what jobs are actually in sports because there's not a ton of exposure of women doing those jobs. It's such an uphill battle to be a sports agent in general and more difficult being a woman. And I would say two times as difficult being a black woman and under the age of 30. Like Kelly, people told Nicole there was really little chance of success as a sports agent if you're a woman. I never really listened to the noise, and there was a lot of it. I think that's one of the reasons I'm where I am, she said. I knew that it was possible, and I was going to keep doing it until I reached my goal. Wow. I love that. Yeah, definitely. Representing NFL players, coaches, some professional softball players, and even a ballerina, (laughs) Nicole is enjoying her success. However, Nicole also wants other women and people of color to get their, their feet in the door. Nicole has a list of diverse professionals that she recommends to her clients for all kinds of services, whether it be financial advice or car services. She tries to make sure women and people of color are in the mix. Which right. Yeah. Mother, these two ladies still are a rarity in their field, and that part's sad, but they're getting results for their athletes and getting a lot of attention in the process. The second story my mother-in-law sent me was about Debo Samuel, a wide receiver for the 49ers. Debo's real name is... Taishan Rawan Samuel, but his dad nicknamed him after a character in the movie Friday named Debo. I've never seen that movie. I haven't either. So I guess we have no idea if that's a term of endearment or yeah. what. But what kind of character. <laughs> exactly. Debo grew up in South Carolina and played college football for the University of South Carolina. In 2019, the NFL draft, he was the 36th pick and joined the 49ers. This year, he was ranked 19 wow. of the top players that's in good. the NFL. I know. While I don't know much about football, I know that means he must be a pretty impressive player. Of course, that's not what inspires me about Debo Samuels. Debo grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and he remembers his dad and his stepmom, Galen and Precious, 
struggling to support Debo and his two siblings. Debo's biological mom, as Debo puts it, kind of got into the street life. He was not around for much of his childhood. At times he lived with his grandmother. He lost a friend to gun violence when he was only 11. Mm. Debo remembers being bullied and how that experience led him to playing football to be part of a team. Where I grew up, you don't really find many wealthy people, Debo explains. When I was a kid, it was kind of a struggle in my family as well. So I get it and I understand what people go through back home. Debo credits his stepmom, Precious, with staying on top of him and making sure he did well in school. Debo was an outstanding football player, getting a lot of attention, but Precious would keep on him about his grades and homework. Debo says he never would have made it into college without Precious. I love that he's giving her the credit, too. that's sweet. Now Debo's giving back. Debo started a scholarship fund for black athletes in Spartanburg. I'm just trying to raise money because there are pretty good students and athletes where I'm from, but not too many get the opportunity to go to college due to funds. Samuel says on on the 49ers website, not too many people make it out and get a chance to go to college. So through this fundraiser, I get to help an athlete that's deserving of that opportunity. Besides putting his personal funds into this scholarship, Debo is also fundraising to create more opportunities for black athletes to get to college. I just love this. And on a side note, once he made it to the NFL, Debo got his mother, Felicia, into rehab and bought her a house. She's now working full-time and doing a great job with her recovery. Great son. Just a great human. I loved Kaepernick on the 49ers. I love Patrick Willis. And now I have a new favorite to watch out. I'll be rooting definitely for number 19, Debo Samuels. Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.